Hello, and welcome to Starting the States, Episode 6, Part 1 of Native Americans in North America. So, I'm throwing a little curveball here. Last time, I mentioned that the next episode was going to be about Georgia. Well, it's not. Surprise! You may recall from Part 1 of the New Jersey episode that I said I was going to dedicate an entire episode to discussing Native Americans. I decided that before I got any farther into the original 13 colonies, it would be wise to tackle this issue right away, instead of putting it off until later. Part of the reason for this is because many of the Native American tribes I had spoken about in previous episodes were going to come up again, since almost all occupied land that covered multiple state borders. I became worried that I was going to gloss over the unique history and experience of Native Americans in North America, and I did not want each individual tribe's story to become an afterthought as I progressed through each state. In an effort to remedy this, I thought it would be best if I provided an overview of Native American history that may help us better understand their story in the United States. So instead of talking about Georgia this time, I'm going to discuss the complex and largely overlooked history of Native Americans to the best of my ability. I hope that by doing so, a clear picture of indigenous people of North America and the role they played in starting the states will begin to emerge. With that being said, Georgia is not completely absent from this episode, so maybe that will appease those that wanted some Georgia history. Anyway, without further ado, let's get to it. As one might imagine, the story of Native Americans in the United States continues to be a very heated and politically charged subject. While there are multiple reasons for why this is the case, I'm going to discuss what I believe are the two main reasons. The first is because of how European colonization in North America systematically abused and oppressed indigenous peoples while simultaneously taking over their lands. The United States maintained this path after they won their independence from Britain and began expanding west. Until 1871, Native Americans were recognized as, quote, individual and independent in the United States. But this all changed after the House of Representatives ceased treaty making. However, Article 1, Section 8 of the United States Constitution gives Congress the ability to, quote, regulate commerce with foreign nations and among the several states and with the Indian tribes, end quote. In effect, making Native Americans a distinctly different part of the United States. Interpretations of this section has been responsible for much heartache for Native peoples. Native Americans have had to fight hard to have their right to self-governance recognized in the country. States like Georgia became battlegrounds for the Native Americans' constitutional fight, both legally and literally. Georgia played the unfortunate role of leading the charge against removal of Native peoples. So much so that historians Theta Perdue and Michael D. Green write that, quote, no state agitated more consistently or aggressively for the expulsion of Native people from within its borders. Georgians became increasingly hostile to the Native tribes that owned land in their state, the fertile farmland the Cherokee occupied became extremely valuable after the explosive re-emergence of the slave plantation economy in the South. Another reason Georgians were upset is because the tribes realized the value of the land they held. The Cherokee and Creek had increasingly conformed to American society. Purdue and Green points out that they held similar economic and social values as the Georgians. They became well-educated by American standards and could not be tricked in the same way that their ancestors had when Europeans first came to the continent. Georgians, specifically white Georgians, saw this as a threat to their monopoly on power in the state. They began implementing legislation to remove native tribes from the land they had held for so long. 
But the Cherokee and other tribes would not cave in to Georgia's demands. The Cherokee and Creek tribes living in Georgia were forced to take their fight to the Supreme Court of the United States to protect them. The United States recognized Native American tribes as sovereign nations. In Worcester v. Georgia in 1831, Chief Justice John Marshall delivered the opinion that the Cherokee Nation is a distinct community occupying its own territory, and any attempts to ignore the fact would be unconstitutional. Despite this ruling, President Andrew Jackson ignored the decision and has famously been quoted as saying, quote, John Marshall has made his decision, now let him enforce it. With no one left to defend them, the Cherokee were forcibly removed from Georgia and forced to march west. This became known as the Trail of Tears due to thousands of Cherokee and other Native American tribes dying due to disease, exposure, and starvation. Not even the supreme law of the land has been able to prevent atrocities like this one from happening to Native Americans. It is experiences like this that have ensured animosity and distrust between the tribes and the United States continue to persist to this day. The second reason why I believe Native American history continues to be a difficult subject to discuss is the utter lack of education dedicated to teaching younger generations their history. When I remember history lessons from fourth grade, all the way up until my senior year of high school, I can really only remember learning about Native Americans one time. Most of my memories are of Greece, Rome, Europe, and the United States. Even though this is my own personal experience, I expect many others would agree with me. I'm not saying this is a bad thing. After all, without Europe, the United States would not exist, and I likely would not be recording this podcast right now. You wouldn't want that, would you? The problem with Eurocentrism is that it has a tendency to largely disregard the experience and history of conquered peoples. We learn about European colonization and imperialism, but we rarely learn about the people that were subjugated. Because of this, the story of Native Americans in the United States is largely overlooked in public education. Part of the reason for this is likely because it brings to light the atrocities that were committed against indigenous peoples. It is terribly sad and a true story that comes into conflict with the ideals the United States was founded on and the ones we want to emphasize as we teach our children. But without providing an honest portrayal of Native American history in our educational institutions, we are committing a disservice to future generations that will never be able to right the past wrongs and begin the process to heal wounds that have been festering since the birth of our country. Okay, with the heavy and hard stuff out of the way, I want to turn to looking at the prehistory of North America. I call it prehistory because there is no one who recorded historical events in writing, at least that we know of. Even though early humans did not have a form of writing, it is likely that they passed down historical knowledge through oral storytelling. The oral history of Native Americans is hard to authenticate because just like a game of telephone, the words and story tend to change over time. This does not mean that oral traditions do not hold truth to them, it is just hard to determine the validity. Because of this, anthropologists and archaeologists have determined that prehistorical knowledge can only be gathered by archaeological analysis of ancient human settlements and artifacts. But even this is a difficult task, because sites and artifacts do not tell us why they are there, or what they are used for, meaning that much is left up to interpretation. The hope is that as more and more evidence is uncovered, it will help to validate scientific theories. And because of this, 
theories about how North America was first populated by humans is continually up for debate. The most common theory, and the one you are probably familiar with, is that humans crossed over from Asia using the Bering Land Bridge as glaciers began to recede over 12,000 years ago. However, new evidence continues to emerge that puts the Land Bridge theory on ice. Pun definitely intended. Archaeologists have found sites in South America that are dated older than sites in North America. How is that possible if humans did not come earlier? New theories have come out that suggest humans used boats to skim the west coast of North America, feeding on underwater kelp forests and other ocean foods. There are even theories that suggest humans came to the continent from Europe, using the Atlantic Ocean, though these have been highly criticized. It is likely we will never know exactly how or when it happened, but the continuing discovery of new archaeological evidence will help to provide a clearer understanding. My hunch is that it is likely a mix of all of these theories. Whenever evidence points in multiple directions, it is likely telling you that there is not one single answer. In other words, the peopling of North America likely did not happen during a single time period or use a single path. It required the use of many paths over many years, and that is what all the evidence points to. I think we all tend to try and find the most simple and cohesive solution to difficult questions. There's a feeling of comfort and security that comes from having a single interpretation. But if studying human history has taught me anything, it is that there is never one simple solution to any questions regarding our history. With that in mind, I want to turn to the fundamental role archaeology has played in helping us to understand the diverse and complex history of Native Americans in North America. A little known fun fact is that our very own founding father, Thomas Jefferson, was the first to perform an archaeological excavation in the United States. Large mound structures were scattered around the land occupying the state of Virginia. Many were curious about who made them and why. After winning the War for Independence, Jefferson returned to his estate at Monticello in 1782. Hearing the stories about the mounds, he decided to excavate one to find some answers for himself. He dug trenches that revealed layers of burials and artifacts within the mound. He recorded the data from his findings in a journal, concluding that the mound was used for burial purposes. Jefferson did not know it, but he had just performed the first stratigraphic excavation in the United States, over 100 years before archaeology became an established science. This small beginning kick-started the movement to identify, understand, and document the history of Native peoples in North America. As I mentioned previously, I believe people in general tend to find the simplest solution to explain the most difficult questions. Because of this, archaeologists have sometimes generalized the extremely complex history of Native Americans in an effort to fully understand it. Doing so has painted many regions and tribes of North America with a broad brush, neglecting much of the diversity that each have. Of course, this is not because of some nefarious motive but because so much of the history remains hidden or lost forever. It is impossible for archaeologists to fully document and identify the entire cultural history of every native society that existed in North America. Archaeologists have had the impossible task, but it has not stopped their effort to understand the complete picture of First Peoples prior to European arrival. The reason I feel it is necessary to point all of this out is for two reasons. Firstly, because it is important to acknowledge that our understanding of Native American history is largely incomplete, 
And even though archaeologists try their best to fill in the blanks, a broad classification system of Native American history and culture continues to remain in use. Secondly, since there is not a better way for me to explain all I want to say for the purposes of this podcast, I have to rely on using the same broad classification system. It is by no way ideal, but it is the best archaeologists and myself have to use for the time being. So without further ado, let's get to it. Most archaeologists divide the historical chronology of First Peoples in North America into three broad time periods, known as Paleo-Indian, Archaic, and Woodland. To better understand this, think of how European history is sometimes categorized into time periods known as the Stone Age, Bronze Age, and Iron Age. It is similar to that. The Paleo-Indian period encompasses all human cultures in North America prior to the Archaic period. It refers to the first humans to walk into North America using Beringia, the ice-free corridors, or other means. The famous Clovis culture is part of this time. They are well known for their fluted spear points they used to hunt mammoth and other big game. Following this time period is the Archaic. Deciding when the Paleo ended and this one began is a difficult task that archaeologist Brian M. Fagan writes is often impossible to draw. Still. There are key developments that are used to differentiate between periods. For instance, archaic hunters began to diversify their approach by finding smaller and more varied game. They also began to focus on plant foods and specializing in adapting to local environments. Instead of what the Paleo-Indians did, of strictly depending on following herds of animals, some of these archaic cultures existed in the United States until modern times. After the archaic came the woodland period. This period is defined by a new focus on cultivation of food and the manufacturing of pottery and other complex tools. Recognizable cultural traditions developed from this time, including the funerary rituals and mound buildings that I mentioned earlier. The woodland period continued until European contact. It is important to point out that these periods contain subdivisions within them. For instance, the Archaic period is made up of an early, middle, and late period. These divisions are based on visible changes in the archaeological record. For example, early archaic tools were very basic and limited, but late archaic tools were more advanced and specialized. Finding more sophisticated tools suggests a more complex culture, thus differentiating the classification of the archaic period from the early to middle and the middle to late. And with that, I'm going to stop here for now. Next time, we will continue digging deeper into Native American history. We will look at their various cultural areas in North America and investigate how archaeologists define them. If you have enjoyed listening to this podcast, please consider leaving a review on iTunes or wherever you access your podcast from. This helps make the show visible to a wider audience. It takes very little time and effort, but can provide a big return for me and the show. Whatever you decide, thank you for continuing your support. Have a question or a comment? Send me an email at startingthestates at gmail.com. You can also stay up to date on all things podcast related by following the show on Twitter at Start the States. The song you hear at the beginning and end of every episode is Jam With Me by Mon Placer. As always, thank you for listening to another episode of Starting the States.